welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets Antenna Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our countdown of our top 10 Division I men's college tennis teams heading into the 2023 season, of course. If you missed any of our first six episodes previewing our men's top 10, all you got to do is scroll down on your Great Shot Podcast feed. The good news when you scroll down as well, you'll not only see our top 10 men's teams. You'll see our top 10 women's teams as well as John Parsons has joined me every Tuesday and Thursday to break down another one of our top 10 teams heading into the season. Of course, on Wednesdays and Fridays, we break down our top 10 men's squads. And on today's show, we get into our top four men's teams, in particular today, the University of Texas Longhorns. And of course, if we're previewing another top 10 men's team, you know who's joining me here on today's show to do just that. You know him best as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks formula predictions. Never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames, the professor, and of course, the lean, mean, vegan machine. It's our dear friend, Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. The question I ask you, not to be morbid to start the show, but assuming I outlive you and God willing that's going to happen because there's like a 30-year age gap between us, which listeners may not know about because, of course, you're youthful at heart. I'm an old cranky soul. But if there is, I don't know why I said God willing. I feel bad about that. Leave it in, though. Hopefully we die at the same time. You're 180. I'm 150. But if you do pass before I do, do you want me to have that engraved on your tombstone? I I would expect nothing nothing less. <laughs> I mean, I'm, the wife would, if she got, you know, God willing, uh, also outlived me, would have no idea what the hell any of that meant. But. <laughs> Having never listened to a single episode, but uh, but yeah, I, I I think I should write that down for. Her. Hey, if Gruskin used to put something on the headstone, it's okay. Yeah, I'll say like she'll be like, "Do you really need predictions? Never far from the listed UTR." I'll be like, "Well, it's that or the snitch, so you got to pick." <laughs> uh, I think that's the better of the options. But no, it is always a pre- pleasure to see your smiling face. And in the holiday spirit, I have to ask, what does Christmas look like in the Halioras household? Oh, well, you know, at this point, given as you stated that um, I'm the old guy, it's uh, pretty much, you know, all the kids coming over and the grandkids coming over now, uh, none of them actually in the house anymore. So, yeah, everybody between between my kids and the wife's kids, they all make it by. We do our thing in the morning and then we head over to, we we only live like a mile and a half from her parents. So, uh, and they're always the big, uh, the social hosters for that whole family. So, it's always Christmas over there. So the, then the rest of the day from about one o'clock on is spent over at the in-laws, uh, the in-laws house. So that's pretty much the, uh, you know, the, the Halioris thing. The only, the, the one thing I will say that, you know, my, both of my parents are, are long gone at this point, but the one thing that my mom, the, her big thing, and it was, it was so funny when, when my wife and I first got together, it was probably the biggest discrepancy she can't do anything but throw a present in a gift bag and give it to someone. <laughs> My mom's hard and fast rule was every present gets wrapped, no matter what. It doesn't matter if it's a gift card. Everything gets wrapped in wrapping paper. And I was hardcore, like, 
And no, we're sp- I'm staying up all night. We're wrapping every damn present. Uh, and so that's the that that's probably the more the more fun part is you know the the night before staying up wrapping everything. Yeah, uh, it's fascinating to hear you say that because now I know for your introduction, hardcore gift wrapper. Throw that yeah. in. He, he <laughs> the only thing he wraps are gifts. That's what I'm going to throw into <laughs> oh, the introduction. Oh. Now that works for you. I can I can include it. Leave it in. Wow, I don't know. That feels like a slight to to uh, the Sugar Hill Gang and rappers delight <laughs> that I know word for word like the 15 minute version. But but I don't know. I, I'm okay with it stuff. Yeah, let me just say this. I've seen your I- iTunes. That's too much rage against the machine for any one human to have at the top <laughs> of their playlist. But uh, no, I uh, I always appreciate the holiday spirit, and I'm glad to hear the Halioris household had some fun. Uh, as you know, every day is Hanukkah in the Gruskin household, so uh, certainly it feels like we're always celebrating here, but it's always great to spend time with family. Hopefully all of you listeners were able to do that over the course of the past few days, but also, hopefully, when you had hit your family quota, we'll say, to put it politically correct, when you'd hit that quota, you needed to get away maybe for an hour, maybe hit the bike in between meals to make sure you're ready for eating round number two. Hopefully, we provided you enough content to get you through those hours away. Obviously, to those of you listeners looking for more pro tennis content, head over to the Mini Break Podcast. We're getting ready for the start of the 2023 ATP WTA season, of course, over on the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Podcast. Two college tennis legends joining me of late in Rajiv Ram, Jamie Loeb, two NCAA individual titles between the two of them, a couple indoor NCAA team championships as well. So fun podcast for all of you listeners to take us through the start of the 2023 season across our platforms. Be sure to go check them out. Shout out as always to super producer Daniel Westoff. He's hanging with his family yet still finds time to edit all of our nonsense with that said we move on here on today's show to number four texas and i will say quickly two things before we get into the usual preview format recapping 2022 talking returners new additions strengths weaknesses conferences predictions etc a there was a big college bomb dropped here Tuesday night as of us recording this podcast. Selma Ewing announcing she will use her fifth year of eligibility, going to use it for the Texas A&M Aggies and for a team that lost really just one essential piece uh, off of last year's lineup in Tatiana Makarova to replace Makarova with Selma Ewing. Obviously, that's going to impact our perception of the Aggies. That said, we're going to save that analysis for Thursday show, excuse me, I'm juggling days in my head, Thursday show with John Parsons when we break down our number three women's team. The other quick correction we have to issue from the start of last show where Chris Hallioris, maybe the first time in 2022, he successfully broke me with his thoughts on which college coach would not be ordering acai bowls. You know who else we need to add to that list? Sources tell Chris Hallioris and I, it's Texas men's tennis head coach Bruce Burke, who hopefully will listen to this podcast. I'm sure he can only tolerate like 20 minutes of me and you, but it's minute eight that we're dropping this knowledge. He reserves the right to rebut this point, but... Chris, our sources tell us that Bruce Burke, despite remaining fit as a fiddle, at least certainly to the eye, that he has a fondness for pizza. That Bruce Burke has the, dare I say, diet of the very same college kids he's coaching day in, day out. And hey, Chris, maybe that's what makes him such a successful coach. 
<laughs> yeah, that and walking the dog, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, that I knew, and shout out to Bruce, who we'll talk about here early. Back in the day, it was always Michigan club tennis players who had the privilege of being the dog walker for the Burke family, but uh, for for Bruce, excuse me, and his dog, um, and the dogs, but. The fact that Bruce stays as skinny as he does, if he really does have that affinity for pizza that we hear out there and for the sweet snacks that we know he perhaps enjoys from a dietary perspective, talk about a guy who's just blessed from the gene gods. Like, still has a full head of hair, can still eat like I eat. Maybe can't eat like you eat, Chris Hallioris, because no yeah, one. I would, I would never make my worst enemy suffer those Korean pancakes. Uh, but <laughs> shout out to Bruce. Like, that's actually... I'm that much more impressed by this late develop. Yeah, that's that that's just not fair at you know at, at the ages that Bruce and I are hitting here that that he can still do that. So, uh, yeah, pizza every day. That's uh, all I want to know is how long is he going to spend grilling his players trying to figure out which one gave him up? I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Team meeting, guys. Okay, one of you told Alex that I eat yeah. a lot of pizza. It'll and, be like the 2019 indoors where the ITA had a team meeting just to get me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how times change, right? And again, maybe he throws a salad in every now and then, and he'll have to rebut this reporting. But again, Bruce, multiple sources, not just one, multiple sources, because I don't bring anything to the pod unless I hear it from two, three people. Multiple sources say that Bruce Burke has the, has the ideal diet that we all aspire for at that age. So shout out to Bruce as always. And you know, also got to give a shout out to Bruce Burke for the team he brings back, obviously, to Austin here in 2023. And that, my friends, is how we will transition into our conversation about number four, Texas. Now, when you tell the story of the 2022 Longhorns, you cannot do it by just looking at the record superficially. This Longhorn team, 18 and 11, Overall on the season, yes, they qualify for the national indoors, but they go one and two there. Yes, they're a top 16 seed come the NCAA tournament, but they're the number 12 seed. They have to travel to Michigan, lose a heartbreaking 4-2 match. I thought it was 4-3, but I guess 4-2 match uh, that certainly was arguably the best match of the round of 16 uh, play that we saw unfold, you know, all of that in mind, again, this team did not win a championship throughout the course of the season. They go 3-2 uh, and two in conference play. They get knocked out by Baylor in the conference tournament. Again, round of 16 at the NCAAs, quarterfinals of the national indoors. Superficially, there's no doubt that this team felt a bit short of the expectations that we had for them entering the 2022 season. That said, Chris Hallioris, again, with all the injuries they sustained throughout the year, whether it was Braswell missing time, P.Y., Pierre A. Bailey missing time, just about everyone on this roster missed time at some point of the year, of course. The only guy who didn't miss any time, Elliot Spaziri, played the entire season with his left wrist tied behind his back, could not, legi legitimately could not hit a two-handed backhand uh, throughout the course of the year, despite all of those things, this team was never really out of the national championship conversation last season. And if you play that Michigan match in Ann Arbor 10 times, I think Texas is winning it at least three or four of those matches. So with all of that context, 18 and 11 overall, 
the injuries they sustained throughout the course of the season. I ask you, Chris Hallioris, in 2022, did the Longhorns exceed expectations, underperform, or get things just right? Well, I mean, look, there's no question they underperformed. They have valid reasons and excuses, but, you know, excuses are like, you know what, everybody has one. <laughs> they underperform. I mean, yeah, that's not, it's not what they wanted coming in. It's not what they expected coming in. Uh, and, and, you know, they just couldn't get it done. But yeah, but as you stated, you know, very well, you know, for, you know, Spaziri playing most of the season with a bum wrist, missing time from other guys, it's, uh, you know, it was a, it was a tough year. They couldn't, they couldn't stay healthy. And, and that was a, a big reason for the underperformance. Yeah. I, <sighs> again, you're right. Like, there is no argument. I think everyone on the Texas roster, I think every member of the Texas coaching staff last year, Bruce, Brandon, Austin, I think they'd all say the same thing, right? That this team had enough talent last season, as we said going into the year, to win a national championship. I mean, when Elliot Spaziri, who, let's remind everyone, with one wrist still here in the fall, made what, finals of the All-American or semifinals of that or the fall Nats, I think was in the conversation for each of those events and, you know, had success with Cleve Harper in doubles as well. Elliot 10-3 here this past fall with the one wrist again. There's no doubt this team was injured. And to your point, there are multiple reasons why this team felt short of the goals they probably set for themselves, particularly coming off of a 2021 season two years ago where everything broke correctly for the Texas Longhorns. And ultimately, they found themselves in the NCAA semifinals. They brought back pretty much the entire nucleus, but added two exceptional pieces, not only in P.Y. Bailey, but of course in Richard Ciamara, top 10 player during his time at Notre Dame, who came over and was able to play in the lower half of the lineup for the Longhorns this past season. And by the way, why maybe you put a hair of an asterisk asterisk next to the underperform is let's be clear this Texas team did still walk away with an NCAA title right now it was individually but Richard Ciamara Cleve Harper play cash and Votzel in maybe my favorite individual match I've ever seen in an NCAA tournament ultimately cash Votzel knocked off in three sets by the Texas Longhorns the energy in that match the big hitting it just it epitomized everything you love about college doubles. And so credit to Bruce Burke, the Longhorns. They do get to hang up some sort of national championship banner last season. But again, let me ask it as this hypothetical. If you play the 2022 season 100 times, how many times does Texas does Texas walk away with a national championship in one of them? Given without changing the health status of the roster? No, no, no. In this 2022 scenario, maybe the health... Like, that's what I'm saying. In one of these 100 scenarios, aren't they healthy from start to finish in the year? And if they're healthy, don't they, at the very least, be a top eight seed, make the final site in Champaign? And, like, I'm trying to think who wouldn't... In this world, Kentucky doesn't make the final site because they were the eight seed. And, like, let's say Texas takes that final eight seed, and now Texas is in that conversation... Couldn't a healthy of Texas done if if Texas was healthy, which they almost were, come the NCAA tournament? Isn't there a world where they do exactly what Kentucky did at the NCAAs? And like, honest to God, I think a healthy Texas last year, and again, ifs, buts, excuses, all these different things, everyone's got them. 
But this team was talented enough to win a national championship. We freaking saw that at the National Indoors when right off the bat they beat Florida 4-3. Like, this team was that good. They just were never that healthy. Yeah. No, I no, I can't disagree with that. If you get to play the top six and they're all healthy, uh, you know, and, and in, my, in, the, in the world – in the, the world where you get the best version of a 2022 Texas team, that's Cleve Harper playing six. Uh, and, you know, and he was solid, pretty solid at five for them. That's a good team. And, yeah, it, then you run it 100 times, sure. But, but given the health status that they did have, no chance they were ever going to win one. No, you're absolutely right. Again, Cleve, who ultimately plays 18 matches. And actually, looking up on their list, they only had three guys eclipse 20 dual matches for the course of the season. You know, Braswell plays 22, but he was very banged up by the end of the year. We don't see him at the NCAA tournament, if my memory serves me correct. See Amara plays 22 singles matches. Waldy played 21. Those are the only guys to eclipse 20 total decisions. Maybe played more than 20 matches, but those are the only three guys with more than 20 total singles decisions. And again, you look at the numbers, 40 and 31 in individual double sets last year, a 563 win percentage, 91 and 53 in individual singles results, 63% win percentage. No one was ever healthy. It felt like when he was playing. But yeah, you're absolutely right. This team... It, it's hard to argue they did anything but underperform simply because when we saw them at their best, whether it was that Florida match at the indoors, whether it was, you know, Braswell wasn't healthy, but they were close to healthy playing Michigan in the round of 16. This team was good enough to win a national championship, had all the pieces coalesced properly last season, and they didn't. But that's why, as we head here into the 2023 season, I mean, it's glass half full for Austin, for fans in Austin, right? Things can't be any worse from a health perspective this next season, can they, Chris? I mean, I know we looked, uh, watching the spring, sure, Spaziri was injured still, 10-3 and three overall in fall play, uh, was able to make the big rounds of the big fall events, fall mats, and ITA All-Americans. Yes, I know P.Y. Bailey, Pierre Vey didn't play any matches in the fall, and by the way, I have to call him P.Y. now because at that Michigan match, everyone called him P.Y. And my little brother and I looked at each other and we were like, that might be the best nickname in college tennis. Like, why didn't we think about calling him P.Y. earlier on? Like, yes, I know he was injured as well and didn't play any matches in the fall. But again, the nucleus, Spaziri, Bailey, Braswell, Harper, Waldeeb, uh, and Huang, they're all back for another season, Chris. This nucleus is as impressive as any team in the country, is it not? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. As impressive, it's good. It's it's good for sure. I, I, I worry about I, I worry about the depth, uh, especially given you know what I would say would be the the high likelihood of some injury proneness, if you will, given you know what happened last year. Um, I think you know if you if you can get year ago chichi uh, and that's your six great i mean then that's great but uh and that's everybody else stays healthy and plays and you get to play him at six outside of that and even at that you know he hasn't been great he's gonna have to step back up to where he was it hasn't you know hasn't been great for for a little while necessarily for him or it could be some other guys but the core 
the yeah, the core is good. If they're all healthy and the and to me, and we'll get into it, one of the most encouraging parts for me is a guy that has been sort of hot and cold, but had what I consider to be a great run post the end of last year, you know, through the summer and then into the fall. And that's Sam Waldy. I mean, he's played great, has some great results. He's looking good. If they've got him back to to where he looked, you know, before he he battled some injuries, right? Even at 2019 indoors. Uh, but you know, he's he's been injury prone, but he's looking good. If they have that core back and they can all stay healthy, it's a great core. Absolutely, and let's just go piece by piece as we look at the returners because the dirty secret is unless there's a December surprise coming or some sort of parser bomb that I'm forgetting about, there's not a lot of new additions to this Texas team. It's a lot of known commodities for this group, and it starts with Elliot Spaziri, whom I have ranted about prolifically throughout the course of this fall, and I'm going to repeat this for all of our listeners in case they've forgotten. If you take a straw poll of college coaches not named Bruce Burke, head coaches across the country, and you say, hey, you can take one player off any roster across the country, yes, there would be some Ethan Quinn talk right away, but after a long thinking on the short list, the first two, three names you will hear in that list, Elliot Spaziri, right away. The kid just epitomizes everything you want out of a college tennis player. The energy, the effort, the enthusiasm, the ability to lift the, the rest of the team around him. He's just the combination of glue guy. You know, I like to think I was a glue guy. In my day, Chris, you know, I, I we assembled talent at in my high school rosters, three state titles, four years. Shout out to us. Um, and, you know, it was my job to make sure all the pieces were ready to put all the parts together. I like to think Elliot Spaziri does all of that. And then he brings a number one singles level, you know, blue chip talent to the court as well. So it's just everything you want on the court, off the court. You get that from Elliot Spaziri. Let's just go through this 10 and three fall, Chris. He beats Fry. Inyaki, Stice, Styler, Johns, Harris Walker, Jake Fernley, Johns again, his three losses, Quinn in three sets, Quinn in straight sets, Bossoveretti at the at the fall nets, which of course Bossoveretti goes on to win and beats uh beats Spaziri in that final. Find me a better fucking fall from anyone not named Bossoveretti or Quinn, right? Like he was the guy. And uh, throughout the course of the fall, at least to as much of an extent as anyone but those two freshmen. And so I ask you, even with one hand tied behind his back, although from what we're hearing, he's getting more and more comfortable swinging through that backhand. That said, Chris, if Elliot's your one, you feel pretty good with him, especially in the dual match format against anyone, right? Yeah, absolutely. And what you didn't say was all of those wins... Take the two against Garrett Johns. They went three sets. Mm-hmm. Every other one of those wins, straight sets. Great. He beat Inyaki three and two with one hand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was absolutely uh, an impressive uh, an impressive fall for him. Yeah. And so, like, again, if that's your one, that's a good place to start for this core. And then, you're right, we'll get to Braswell. We'll get to PY in a second. Let's talk about Waldeep. Because, you know, we've been saying for years now, Texas is a year away, right? It feels like we've been saying that the past two seasons. And 
Part of the reason maybe they weren't quite there last year was there was a little bit of regression from CM Waldeep, who played no no matches in the top two singles position. If I would have told you in 2020 that in 2022 CM's a bottom half of the lineup guy, not a top half guy, we both would have laughed at future Alex for saying that sort of thing. And you look for Waldeep last year, 12-9 and nine overall in dual match play. He went, uh, I believe, 9-4 and four at the number four singles position. He's much better than that. With his size, with his serve, with his firepower, I keep referring to the conversations I have with Nicholas Gruskin, but this Texas team is a team we talk about a lot. If, you know, Luke Famba's Nick's number one, and then it's all the Michigan guys, and then it's probably Waldeep next on the list, because Nick watching CM last year, he was like, how the hell is Nino beating this guy? Like, Nino played, I love you, Nino. It was out of his like, it was just like, how are you doing this to Seam? Because Seam did not play poorly in that match. And yet, in every rally, Nino was just like one shot better than Seam throughout the course of that one. And I think that kind of pissed Seam off. And when I look at what he did throughout the course of the fall, to your point, Chris, 11-2, and two, given the uncertainty surrounding an injured Braswell, uh, an injured P.Y., would it shock you if Waldi plays two to start the season? And do you think he's capable of that? Well, he's got the game. He's always had the game, which is why you, we would have laughed at future Gruskin saying he'd be a bottom <laughs> half of the lineup guy. But I mean, it's all, it's mental for him, right? It's, it's shot selection. Uh, you know, don't bail out with a, with a horrible slap uh, and, that you, you know, may hit, may miss. And he's going to hit his share. But, uh, but yeah, to, I mean, commit to the point that you need to play and play that, play that point. You've got the game. Uh, and yeah, it wouldn't, I mean, would it shock me if he starts it too? Yeah. Because in no world should he really be at this point playing uh, above Spaziri, Braswell, or PY. But we don't know who's healthy and who's not. I it so it would it would definitely shock me but is he capable absolutely I mean if he's got his head on straight and he's committed I mean he could play one you talked about his fall what impressed you so much I mean just uh, the you know the score lines the guys that he's that he's beat I mean he's beaten a bunch of really good guys right it's not like he went 11 and 2 and he played a bunch of cupcakes again you know, you, you go down that list, wins over Teddy Juska from, from Georgia, Peter Mock, Ryan Getz, Marcus McDaniel, Benetto, Stice. Uh, you know, he took the loss to Toby Samuel, and he took a loss at the end there to to Basing. He, but he beat, you know, in, in his not, if you go look at some of his non-college, we're only talking about what he did in the, you know, ITA slash college. You see the loss to Basing. He beat Basing, I think, in a, in a 15K out in California, maybe. But uh, also wins over... You know, Cernok, Francisco Rocha, uh, Josh Charlton. I mean, just a ton of really good wins. It's not, we know he's got the talent. And that that's what has impressed me is he's been the guy that he could be very up and down because we know he's got a high ceiling. The question is how low is the floor? Uh, and if it's too low, it's, you know, that it's just not good enough. And he was able to play at that high level all fall he didn't throw a dud out there at all his two losses were both three set matches he didn't nobody just took him out in straight sets like you know has happened to him in the past couple years it was it was just excellent and that and like i said in in addition uh 
to to some of those matches that he played on the ITA schedule. He played he played in some futures tournaments, right? And uh, and, well, to and he your beat, like he beat Lerner Tien. I was gonna say. So I have his pro summer ahead of me. Uh, he played a total, I believe, of eight matches. Wins over Teddy Paralak in straights, Basing in straights, Tien in straights, and Hamish Stewart, who of course played number one for Georgia last season, All American in straight sets. His yeah. losses: three sets to Duarte Vale, who of course was a top fifteen player All American. Three sets to Kikuchi, who's going to be number one singles player probably for Cal. 7-6 in the third to Gianni Ross. 6-4 in the third to Andy Andrade. There's not a single bad loss on the resume, Chris. And you're right. For a guy who we have seen, you know, I have that Baylor match in the back of my head from last year where I all due respect, Baylor just kind of, that home crowd for Baylor just got under wall deep skin. And they kind of broke him. And you could see Marco Miladinovic, who won that match 4-0. I love you, Marco. He had no business beating CM 4-0 by that scoreline as a freshman in that moment. Again, after all the struggles last season, everything you've seen from CM from June 1st onwards is everything you'd want to see. And so, like, if they're going to get a bounce-back season from Waldeeb and he's going to play at the top 25 level that we know he's capable of playing at individually here in college tennis, and you're going to have the luxury, perhaps, of putting that top 25 talent either at four singles or early in the year you're going to play him higher up in the lineup to let Braswell and P.Y. work their way back to health. It's a huge, like, you could argue Waldeeb is the single swing player most important to the outcome for Texas this season, right? Because if he plays at this season level all season long and they get healthy, they can they can win the top four in every match that they play, right? And in particular, there's a world where if Waldeep's playing four singles, he's going to be in that MVP discussion we like to talk about, right, Chris? Yeah, I, I, th- I agree with all of that. I mean, he he is, to me, the player that's going to make the biggest difference if, because if they can get him at the level that he played in the fall for the dual match season, that's huge. It wasn't there last year, right? He was playing lower in the lineup and didn't even fare all that well. I think he can play higher in the lineup this year and play much more. I mean, he could be a guy that, you know, could lose four or five matches all year uh, and and do it at say three. Uh, And, and if you get the luxury of sliding him down to four, actually, if he's, if he's, if he's healthy uh, and he's playing well, I don't even like playing him lower. Let him play higher in the lineup. Let some let somebody like uh, like Py or like I mean I don't even know who. None of those guys deserves to be a four from an ego <laughs> standpoint. You know, th- those four guys, someone has to play for, and nobody should. But but yeah, I, I still actually like him higher up. Let it, let somebody that can grind more play for like Py. Now, it's it's unbelievable because – let me ask you this as a hypothetical. Which – everyone's healthy. Which four would you rather have? Rodesh, Montez, The Doc, and Getz, or Spaziri, Waldi, Braswell, P.Y.? At 100% health, I take the Texas guy. I agree with you, and that's why this team's upside – has to be in the conversation. And it's a big if because this Texas team has been really banged up over the course of the past 15 months. And those injuries don't just go over away overnight because we wish them to do so. But, like, 
again, here's the issue. You look for Braswell, who in the fall, what he play six total matches, I think four and two overall for Braswell. We saw him in limited action, wins over Martinez, Paralek, Schrifts and Bride, losses to Henning and Dostinik, the Dostinik loss in three sets. I mean, considering he's working his way back from injury, I think that's fine. Now, we didn't see P.Y. Bailey play at all throughout the course of the season, uh, throughout the course of the fall. And, you know, it's worth mentioning, you look at P.Y. last year, he went 10-7 and overall in dual match play, dealt with a ton of different injuries. Braswell 16-6, and but 11-4 and overall at the number one spot, which is where he was playing before he got injured at the end of the season. I mean... How concerned are you health-wise with those two in particular? Because if everyone's healthy, again, Waldeeb is the swing player, but how healthy will they be? I mean, do you have any inkling, any thoughts on on the, the health issues for these two returners, right? Because they have to be healthy given how thin this Texas, not thin, but how top-heavy this roster can be. Well, yes, they, yeah, no, they, def, they don't have a lot of depth. I mean, let's, let's be honest. After, you know, We've talked okay. about those. Is this going to be the third straight season where I get lectured from Bruce on Evan McDonald and Nevin Amarilli? And, you know, because I feel like every time we do this to those two, and I love you, Bruce. This That wasn't meant to be a criticism of him for the record. But I feel like every time he comes on, he's like, well, don't forget about Evan McDonald. Don't forget about Nevin, who's essential to what we do in practice. But it's like, we get it. And, of course, you have to say that. But it's like, they're not Micah and P.Y. No, and we've never seen them play a you know a consistent role in the lineup so Mm -hmm. you know that's great they they can help you out in practice but you know that's they're you're not relying on them at six i and if you are relying on one of them at six i don't think evan mcdonald is i still don't think he's going to be in that discussion he has played some over the years it hasn't been all, all that successful you need that guy to be Chi. i know i don't it i don't really might win the job from him i mean he's he's not played you know, he's played fairly decent, but, but to be the best version of, of Texas, you need Chi to be the guy and, and we'll see if he is. Yeah. I just, so let's get to those other two then. Obviously you look at the returners and we're harping in on them because there's not a ton of additions to go through. And we've kind of talked about the tiers of the lineup, right? Spazeri and Waldeeb are your senior leaders. Bailey, Braswell coming off of injury, but we've seen from them what each of them are capable of. And again, watching P.Y. do battle at his first national indoors last year, uh, it was really fun to watch the young freshman cook and to see him have success, whether it was the win over Shelton, right? 6-2 in the third. Was that Ben's last loss of the 2022 season? Um, Because he didn't finish with Rodash. No, he, I think he lost one more, like, fluke, and fluke is the wrong thing, unfocused, we'll say, match for him during the course of the regular season. Well, oh, the regular season, he took a weekend where he lost to, like— Wasn't uh, it the Bama loss or the, something the, like that? I, it, was, it, was, it was Bama, to, and I don't even know who that was, too. Was that Aguiard? Uh, something uh, like that. But P.Y. was his last serious loss of the season, I guess is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Uh, and to do that— from Bailey, we know what he is capable of, obviously, from a standpoint of his high level. But you're right. Like, regardless of the health up top, you feel like this season might be dis- uh, defined by the success of Harper and Huang at the bottom of the lineup. And you look at Cleve, who last year, 12-6 and six overall in dual match singles results, 9-4 and four at the number 5 spot. Obviously, he and uh, 
he and Richard had a ton of success in doubles. Actually, do you know Richard and Cleve ten and seven in dual match play in doubles, fourteen and three in tournament play, which just does not compute with my head because the energy Cleve brings and he is the beating heart, right? With all due respect to Elliot, who is probably what keeps he, Elliot's the glue, but Cleve is the beating heart. Cleve is the spirit. Cleve is the intensity. I mean, there is nothing that will get me going at the start of the 2023 season. And I love the Harper family. They've been so kind to us over the years. Nicest pair of people. You you know, again, love the Harpers. So I feel like I always have to preface when I say I now have relationships with some of these families. But is there anything better than when you get the first Texas from <laughs> Cleve where he just screams it at the top of his lungs? And again, it's not like a coherent thought. It's just Texas. And like... That's how I know college tennis will be back. And when he's not healthy, as he wasn't through much of last season, you don't get that level. But again, when you look for him 12-6 and overall in the matches that he did play, let's say Cleve goes on to be in that number five single spot. You feel pretty good about him at five, don't you, Chris? Yeah, no no worries there. I mean, again, a healthy Cleve, yeah. I mean, great five. Texas! Yeah. God, I just... I mean, again, let's remember, he went 20-5 and five back in 2021. When everything was clicking for this Texas team during that semifinal run, he was one of those guys who was that good. He clinched over Fry at the number four single spot in that quarterfinal match against USC. So we know what Cleve is capable of when he's at his best. You look for Cleve here in the fall, 3-4 and four in singles play. Again, need to see him work his way back into form. The question is six. And you have Chi-Chi Huang, who went 0-1. That said, fifth-year senior, he's earned the benefit of the doubt. 0-1 in the fall. Last year, he went 12-5 and in dual match play. 9-2, and actually, at the number six position. That said, Evan McDonald, Chris, 8-2 and in his fall play. And, you know, got a good win over Woj Merrick of USC. Good wins over Will Nolan of, of Auburn. Marcus Ferreira of Vanderbilt. Lost to Greif, lost to Pierce Rollins. Shout out Lucas Greif. Uh, we always give shout you know, That's our guy here at Cracked Rackets. Whatever we can bring him up, we can. But, like, if it's Evan or Chi-Chi, if that's your 6-7, you know, one of those guys is at 6. If there's an injury, one of them has to step into the lineup. How comfortable do you feel about that 6 spot? Not very at all. Really? That's the shake? You don't, you're even fifth-year Chi-Chi, you're not sold on? He's got national championship pedigree, my yeah, friend. No, that's what I said. He he needs to be the guy, and we need, and, and like you said, he went 9-2 and two in the sixth spot last year. That's got to be the guy that's playing six. You need all of that experience. You need, I, no, I don't feel, I, I you know, I, McDonald didn't do it last year. To your point, yeah, he, he got off to a nice start before, I mean, before he lost to Greif and Rollins, he hadn't lost a match in uh, uh, in the fall. Yeah, but you know, a couple decent uh, quality matches in there. Some others, probably guys that you just you you mean you would hope that that you and expect that you're going to beat. I just don't think that's going to be the answer. Uh, yeah, and so if- I think it's got to be it's got to be Chichi. Now, now the good news is, yeah, with a good fall, if he can build on it. You, you can get some healthy competition because if you've only got six, that's never a good thing either, especially with a team like this that you know is even if nobody gets seriously injured, you're going to have points where, you know, the Spaziri risk just needs a day off or Braswell needs a weekend off or whatever the case may be. 
they're going to get to play. So you need a couple guys down there. Even your number seven guy better be capable of playing six every day for you. No, absolutely. And look, Chi-Chi's got weapons. That Evan McDonald forehand's absolutely a weapon. Both of them, again, got a ton of reps last year. Chi-Chi was 9-2 at that number 6 spot. You look for McDonald. Uh, actually, he only went 3-5 and five overall in dual match play, 2-5 at the number 6 spot, but again, has the big fall to build off of. I mean, look, we have said this now for multiple years. This Texas team is one year away. This Texas team has the core, has the nucleus to be something special here in this 2023 season. That said, you look at the new additions. I mean, am I missing something, Chris? Are we expecting there to be a December surprise? Because I don't think this team, looking at the roster right now, they did not add a single new face to this Texas roster. I'm not missing anything, am I? We're not getting like the younger Bailey coming to college all of a sudden here for this semester. I feel like we both would remember that, right? This team... I don't believe they have any new additions. No, the, I mean, they signed Lucas Brown. I don't know if that's for this year or next. Doesn't matter. He's not playing, even if it is. Uh, so, no, to your point, that's that they're going to be playing with what they've got now, barring some big January signing that we don't that we don't know about. Uh, and I've certainly heard nothing of, of the sort as of yet. You and, mean, yeah, it would have been nice to get the uh, – the younger Bailey to, to come, yeah. you know, I think Pierre went uh, for, for his year kind of did the college visits, right. Post us open. There was talk about maybe a uh, little brother doing the same, but I think with all the success that was had there, that, uh, that kind of ended the college discussion, but, but yeah, that would have been, that would have been nice. Or, or if they could have got, you know, the Jonah Braswell, instead of going to Florida, that might've been very helpful too. Absolutely. You think Jill's Arno Bailey, who they would have called GA probably, or Gab, G-A-B, um, who made the Junior U.S. Open Finals, lost in three sets. You think that would have been a good addition for them, Chris? I think I'm going to agree with you there. That's not a hot take. I think that's just the right take, uh, yeah. that if they, they would have gotten the double the Baileys, double the problems, um, yeah, that would have been a heck of an addition. You do feel like this team, I mean, we'll get to those concerns, I suppose, in a second. That said, we've kind of been over it. What's the projected lineup for you when you look at this group? Assuming everyone is healthy, come the fall or come the spring, excuse me, come May, what do you expect the lineup to look like? Yeah, I expect. Well, let me go back first. Lucas Brown is starting in January, so that is their one newcomer. Uh, okay. I still, I mean, it would be. I think it would be a lot to ask. And will you to, tell me a little bit about Lucas Brown, just for to, our listeners who may not to know. come in and be the six? I think he was a top ten uh, U.S. junior recruit. Uh, so, I mean, you know, a, a good resume behind him. Um, but I, I don't know a lot about his game. So, I, so it'll be interesting to see, uh, if he is indeed, I know it said that I was just checking the press release said he was joining the team in January. I assume that that means he'll be playing in the spring and not red shirting. Uh, but uh, that would be the one newcomer that they could make use of if, if needed, uh, Yep. But, I mean, I don't think there's any secrets in the lineup. A healthy lineup has to have Spaziri at the top. Uh, I, You know, Braswell's got, I would, I believe, has to be the, the two guy. The big question for me is Bailey. I, we haven't seen him play a match since, like, July. Uh, I mean, I, not just college, but any kind of match. I don't know what he's been doing. Uh, no, I think so he's been I, very injured. 
Yeah, yeah, which is you know, which is very concerning. So to your point, I I, I actually, you know, I don't even know if we see him, but I don't expect to see him starting to. I I, I would expect to see at least starting the year. I would say Spaziri, Braswell, Waldeeb. If Bailey's playing, then he may he's or then Bailey's probably the four guy. Harper five, Chichi six, and we may and we're undoubtedly going to going to see uh, some other guys like McDonald or Aramilli uh, at six early on. What'll what'll really matter is who plays the matches that count. Uh, no, I, I I agree with you. I, I certainly I think this team has pieces and doubles. Again, just give me Elliot Spaziri on a court, and we'll figure out the rest from there. Waldeep's serve is a strong foundation for any doubles team. And, you know, again, the Braswell rocket of a serve. He may not be the most comfortable volleyer in the world, but you feel like you can find some pieces there. Chichi Huang played doubles with Yuya Ito, number two doubles on a national championship winning team. Cleve Harper won an NCAA doubles title last year. So you do feel like this team has double pieces and should should be able to improve if healthy on that 40 and 31 dual match record in doubles last year. That feels like a low-hanging fruit for them to improve. But no, I mean, the biggest strength is the continuity. Everyone on this roster, if healthy, except for maybe PY and Micah, has seen everything you could want to see in college tennis. And even then, PY, again, making or playing a critical round of 16 match at Michigan, getting the national indoors experience. He did Braswell as well, being on that semifinal team his freshman year. This group is battle-tested. I agree with you, again, from a lineup perspective. The, the problem is how healthy will they be? But I'm curious from their power six or their top six perspective, where does this team rank UTR-wise? They're probably hurt massively by the fact that Braswell and PY haven't played that much. I'm counting. I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're getting hurt there. Cause they're down to cleave. I think cleave at five is like a 13, three. So <laughs> it's, it's really the six. They don't have their, their, whoever they've got at six is sub 13, but uh, one, two, uh, they're actually, I'm sorry. They're third. Ooh, overall, overall, Ohio state one, <laughs> TCU two, Texas three. That is tasty. That is very, I mean, very yeah, tasty. Yeah, the, the top of that lineup, well, especially with everything that, that Waldeeb has done, mm-hmm. uh, that's really, I mean, they they run uh, PY at four as a 13-6-2. So <laughs> you got a guy at four that's, you know, a 13-6. CM's at 13-7, Micah 13-8, Spaziri almost a 14-13-97. So... Yeah, their UTRs are very good down through down through Cleve, uh, especially with some of the falls. And so, yeah, Bailey, no big drop yet, just because he did play up through July. But uh, but but that's to me that is the question because we just haven't seen him play. The other guys, even if it's been limited, we've seen him play. We know we we know they they're capable of playing right now. I don't know if he can play right now or not. Now, that is spicy, spicy, spicy. And so with that in mind, you sort of let into it, and I know we've alluded to it. Biggest concerns, weaknesses for the team. Talk me through them, Chris. Uh, well, the biggest concern, uh, 100%, is just health, right? But <laughs> Bailey, we right out of the bat, we don't know about. Spaziri with the, you know, the wrist and the ability to hit a backhand, which honestly— that's almost the least of all of those worries because which we saw is crazy. Yeah, yes. I mean, it, it, we saw that if, you know, 
force the guy into hitting, uh, you know, he or he he forces himself into hitting a slice every time, and you still can't, you know. I feel like it's the. I feel like it's five years ago, and I'm watching people play play. You know, Ty Kwiatkowski, and I'm saying, just hit the ball to his damn backhand. Yeah, easier said than done, right? I mean, you know, and in this case, you know, he's not even going to run around. He's just going to slice the ball back, and then you're going to pay when when he gets the ball that he wants. Yeah, it's not like, uh, you know, not like he's he's giving up points. He's just extending them until he gets the ball he wants, and you can't put him away. Um, but yeah, Braswell has health issues. To me. Bailey and Braswell. Walby looks great. Spazieri is going to be what Spazieri is, uh, and he's got, he'll play. You know, barring something horrible happening, he'll play through whatever he's got going on. If it's just the same thing, you know, with the left wrist. So it's Bailey and Braswell that that are really the concern to me. And the weakness is someone's got to step up at six. I have no issues with any of their top five, assuming they're all playing. It, whether it's Chi-Chi, whether it's Aramilli, whether it's Evan McDonald, whether it's Lucas Brown, one of them has to step up and be a solid six. They can't, you know, they they took double-digit losses in the bottom half of their lineup last year. Four, five, and six all lost at least 10 matches. Okay. They just can't do that. I mean, if you want to be a national championship contending team, you cannot take you know, double-digit losses at every position in the bottom half of your lineup. If they are healthy, Chris, I will bet you every dollar I will ever earn that they will not have 10 losses at the number four spot. That whomever of Braswell, Waldeep, Harper, uh, Braswell, Waldeep, and Bailey that's playing that four spot, again, the best version of this Texas team has that number four singles player firmly in the MVP conversation. Well said. Again, the other concern, they might be a guy thin, but we'll see with Lucas Brown, who to your point was a top 10 recruit in his recruiting class. Look, the good news is we're going to get to see this team tested. You look at their 2023 schedule. It's a frisky kickoff weekend as Texas, the 12 seed, plays host to a very good Arizona team, an Arizona team that's seen a ton of tough battles and brings back a ton of veterans as well. They've also got a really tough first match taking on a Cal team that's going to be a lot better than their number 51 ranking indicates. Cal, again, bringing in a couple of guys on the transfer portal. You bring back the Kikuchis of the world second year for head coach Chris Quinta. That is not an easy kickoff weekend, particularly if the health of so many of these Longhorns are still up in the air. But, I mean, just a juicy non-conference schedule, Chris. They've got at Florida, January 15th, and this Florida-Texas home away series has been really, really fun over the past few years. They've got Georgia at home, January 22nd, at Ohio State, February 5th, Pepperdine, February 10th, Arizona, February 12th. Then they've got A&M coming to town February 26th. They play the home-and-homes with TCU. Do they have a home-and-home with Baylor? They don't this year. Just the one match against Baylor. But the home-and-home against TCU at Stanford, at UCF, NC State at home, USC at home. I mean, again, if this team goes 3-3 and in these battles that they have on their schedule or 4-4, and they play 500 ball against the plethora of top 12 teams they've got on the calendar. This team, I think Bruce looked at last year and he's like, we will never not be top eight seed again. I never want to have to go on the road for the round of 16. The only time we're going on the road in the NCAA tournament is when it's down to the final site. 
I love this schedule, Chris. What say you? Oh, great schedule. Like I, I like you, I'm looking very forward for that kickoff weekend. I mean, I, obviously just a couple couple big matches against SEC uh, you know, teams in Florida and Georgia before they even get there. Uh, and in your favor on locations, if you're going to play one, you know, one home, one away, take, you know, the potentially down year out of Florida on the road and Georgia at home. Uh, but then coming in, yeah, that Cal team, yes, if you're a top five team, like we're projecting Texas to be, you should win fairly comfortably, but that has all of the potential of being a little nervous for quite a while because, like you mentioned, they bring in a, you know a couple guys, Ryder Jackson over from USC, Sid the Kid from Wake Forest. Sid the man. Sid the man. He's his yeah, fifth year Sid, now. Sid the man. We've changed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. but, yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting, uh, you know, second year for Coach Quinta there now uh, in, in building that team. And then assuming that they, that they do as they should get through that match, then, you know, in all likelihood, Arizona should knock off FAU and you get a very frisky Arizona team. Definitely not the easiest uh, easiest region, even for a top five team. So that's that's going to be interesting. And then, as you said, some other great matches. They play Arizona non-conference. They get Ohio State. They get A and M. They got the T. You know, the the two matches with TCU. They get Stanford, NC State. Lots. I mean, USC. They're going to find out. You know, very quickly who who if everyone's healthy and who their six is. Yeah, no, I mean, of the non-conference matches they have, if they go like four and four, five and three, they'll be in good, uh, a good position. But you're right, they have two options. They can fuck around or they can find out. Like, that's actually what this schedule presents for them, that they are going to be tested. And this is just a tangent. Had Sid the Man, formerly Sid the Kid, gone to Texas instead of Wake Forest, like, uh, instead of Cal, isn't that like the perfect piece that this Bruce Burke team and this Texas team needs. Like, if you put Banthia on for that one last piece of depth in both singles and doubles, man, like, oh, I wish I could just go through all the portal messages and see who offered who what. I just want to know what they were looking after because that would be fascinating. But look, we talked about this in the TCU podcast. The We know how deep that TCU roster is, and even without Jack Pennington Jones, who... I know you got the text. I got the text. Every coach has texted and being like, Jack Pennington Jones is not playing. Like, come on. You guys are – whatever you guys are on over at Cracked Rackets, share it this way because we don't think Pennington Jones – there's no chance he's playing in 2023. But even without him, we talked about how deep that TCU team is. Even if instead of Pennington Jones, everyone moves up a spot and it's Maxted or Vives at that number six spot, you feel pretty good there. Baylor, it's at Baylor, which we learned last year if you're a Texas Longhorn fan – one of the more difficult places to play in the country. And by that time they play April 8th, all the young Baylor players will have three months of dual match reps under their belt. I think the Oklahoma swing, March 31st, April 2nd, is going to be tricky for the Longhorns because Oklahoma, we've talked about being improved. Oklahoma State should be a little bit better. Year two under DT as well. Look, it's it's still the Big 12 Conference, and you get the home-and-home home against TCU. You're going to have to play them twice. 
That said, I think this team has a pretty clear pathway to a top eight seed, right? Because they're going to have so many ranked matches. You're our numbers guy, Professor. Let me know. The numbers are in their favor, correct? Definitely. I mean, that's, you have to, you got a a veteran team like this where, you know, all their starters are basically going to be returners barring Preston Brown, uh, Lucas Brown, sorry, you know, cracking the lineup. Did you press Preston Stearns and Lucas Brown is now Preston Brown? Yeah, that's what that's what happens, man. And you know, and then somehow, somehow the Preston Stearns, even though he's not there, got there because his sister was there. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's it's some weird going on in my head. I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't explain it. Uh, but uh, yeah, but no, that you you when you have a veteran team, you do you schedule all the best teams because those, as we've talked many many times, the the losses don't really the losses don't hurt in points. The losses when you lose to teams like that, the only thing they hurt is your ego. And if you've got a veteran team that knows the grind of the college game and they can view it as a chance to get better and learn where they need to improve, then you want to play all of those tough matches. Even if even if you come out, you know, they're going to play, I would say, the toughest matches on that non-conference schedule, right? Georgia, Ohio State, Arizona, A&M, TCU, Stanford, NC State. Even if we were to just go, like you said, 500 through there, it doesn't really hurt. And then USC, it doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, you're, you're not taking a ton of penalty there. You're still easily, if you win the other half of them, you're easily a top eight team at that point. Uh, and then and then they're going to get a good run. I mean, they should. They get the, you know, we'll call it the big three of the big, uh, of the big six slash 12. They get the other two teams as their last two matches. So the first three matches, the in the Oklahoma schools, both at home, and then the the at Lubbock Texas Tech match, never easy, still a match you should should win uh, even in Lubbock. They they should roll into those last two matches uh, with the conference basically on the line for them at Baylor and then home against TCU. It's a really nice setup uh, and. In addition, they get, you know, the, the TCU is only one match that weekend, so they get an entire week to prepare for just that one match. Yeah, well, with all of that in mind, then let's make some predictions. This Texas team is going to be the double-digit seed at the ITA indoors that no one is going to want to have to face in the first round. And I swear to God, tennis gods, if you give me another Michigan-Texas first-round matchup at the National Indoors, you just are asking for me to not outlive Chris Hallioris because that one will hurt my heart near and dearly. But let's start at that National Indoors. How do you think this team does? I'm just stunned by the statement. I cannot imagine they're a double-digit seed. You don't think by then? Because they're the 12th seed at the kickoff weekend. Yeah, but that's because of where they finished last year. Yeah, like, that's true. And this team so, has so many ranked matches before kickoff. You're well, absolutely right. The first rankings will come out. Uh, last year, they were scheduled out the first week of January, like Wednesday in the first week of January. So we're going to find out very soon here uh, what that what that poll looks like. But I don't, I don't see them being, you know, a double-digit seed unless, you know, they now they don't make those those seeds for for indoors, assuming they make it through as well, unless they somehow you know lose to Georgia. Fine, that's that's okay. Even if they do, uh, I don't think that's a big thing. 
they would have to, and they're, and then they say lose at Ohio State, fully expect that to probably happen at Ohio State. Something else in there before indoors. Arizona, Pepperdine, Florida. They might, they're going to have to lose at least one of those, I think, to drop out of a top 10, you know, or top nine, if you're going to call them a double digit seed. So, uh, yes, it could happen, but it's not, you know, if they kind of, if they hold their own to what we think they should be doing, I think they'll open for sure in single digits and they would have to have, you know, some losses to drop them. No, it's, it's just going to be fascinating though, to see where, again, those early rankings going to the national indoors, what that draw looks like is going to be so fascinating. With that said, how does this team do at the indoors? I'm not the greatest indoor team. I don't think, I don't think Bailey's ready to go yet. So I'm not, I won't, I don't hold out a lot of hope. Uh, I think it could be, I, I think easily that early in the year for them. It, it's either a one and two or a two in one weekend. Uh, I, and I would, I would almost lean without knowing who they're going to end up playing to a one and two weekend, just because I think they're going to need time to get all their guys healthy. I completely agree with you. I think if this team goes quarterfinals of the indoors, but goes one and two on the weekend, it's fine because this is a team that's worried about end of season national indoors, irrelevant. They want to be healthy and ready come May. How do they do in conference play? You have them winning the big 10, uh, big 12 splitting with TCU. What do you see? I think, yeah. I mean, I, I think we're going to see, I think we'll see a split. And I, I think, you know, again, subject to recant based on health, but even a 90% healthy Texas team, I, I'm going to say that they win the regular season, mm-hmm. but I think TCU probably takes the conference tournament. <sighs> See, I'd probably lean the other way. Like this only Texas- because, for me, it's only because they get TCU at home in the regular season. Yeah. It's a neutral court for the, for the conference tournament it's at Kansas, right? Lawrence. Yeah, and I don't see them. I, I mean, I, I don't see them losing, you know, at home to either of the Oklahoma schools. So, great. I mean, a great schedule for them to get the Oklahoma schools at home, Texas Tech on the road. Uh, probably that's the team you want to play on the road. Yeah, not great to have Baylor. I mean, if you could get Baylor and TCU both at home, awesome. But if you got a split, fine. Baylor on the road, TCU at home. And, you know, maybe everybody beats each other up and Baylor sneaks in and, and wins one. That that could very well happen as well. But I I still think it's those it's those three with more of the emphasis on TCU in Texas, if it's a healthy Texas. And I'll just give them I do think they'll split and I'll give them the nod getting TCU at home to say that's their shot. Win the regular season, go either either five and zero or four and one in the regular season with a loss, say to Baylor, but beat TCU uh, and at least share the regular season, big 12 title. Uh, And then I think it's TCU in the tournament. And they say, I'm the only one who panders with that Baylor toss here by Chris Helioris. With that said, Chris, I thought I'd get more of a reaction from you. I thought you were going to jump me verbally here on this show. The hardest part of any podcast NCAA tournament predictions. 
where do the Texas Longhorns finish for you, Chris? And I don't have a running tally, by the way, of your predictions. So you may already have four quarterfinalists. You may have seven quarterfinalists. Hopefully you're keeping track. I have my predictions. I'm not ready to, to unveil mine, so I'll start with you. Where do you have this team finishing in the NCAA tournament? Well, now I'm stuck because I don't know what I said for Tennessee last week. I think you said semis. I, I don't know if I said semis or finals because I was good. No, was you didn't say finals. Say, you haven't said finals yet. Okay, I was about to say semis here, but if I said semis for Tennessee, I'm stuck. I I'm can't pretty be- sure each of us have a quarterfinalist, a semifinalist, finalist, and winner left. A quarterfinalist. Well, okay, then I guess... Yeah. Then, so, so go ahead. Sorry. Then, I was then gonna they're going to have to. Be, if I, if I've got a, it's oh, tough. Geez. So, all right. You know what? I'll I'll do this for you then first. I came into tonight's podcast on my sheet next to Texas. It says parentheses winner. I had this team winning the NCAA tournament because their ceiling is that high. If Spaziri, Braswell, Py, Seam. Cleave, all due respect to Chi-Chi and Evan, I don't really care about you. If those five are healthy, I'll ride with those five physically, mentally, spiritually, experience-wise. I'll take what they have collectively, maybe more than any core we have seen or we do see in the country. I just know what I'm getting from all of those guys. I know each and every one of them have played in the final stages of the biggest events that college tennis has to offer. (sighs) That said, they have to be perfectly healthy. There cannot be an injury. There cannot be, even if it's like 2021, everything broke perfectly. 2022, everything broke exactly against them. It can't be a split the difference. It has to be more 2021 from the luck perspective than it like it it just has to be more 2021 than even neutral from a luck perspective. But Chris, we've been saying for 2 years this Texas team's a year away. This Texas team's a year away. This Texas team's a year away. How are we not going to stick to our guns now and pick them as our winners? Like I know Spazier and Waldeep I think each have another year to come back and all due respect to Chi-Chi, this, and I think Cleve can come back. I think this team can bring back everyone in 2024. And then if they add any pieces in recruiting, maybe we say again this year, this team is one year away. But it's like eventually that one year away is now. And it's just when I look at this group, when I look at this core, when I look at the intangibles, when I look at the fact that if I pick Michigan to win the title, I will never hear the end of it from you or anyone who listens to this podcast. That's why Nick Gruskin's coming on the show so he can make the outlandish Michigan predictions for me when it comes to that podcast time. We say Texas is a year away each and every year. I have them going to the semifinals. That's my final pick. Lock it in, Texas semifinals. Oh, you're you're backing you're backing off. I'm py bailing out of that pick, Chris. That is a py bail from me. Um, I'm going semifinals because they just I think they're a player short. I, I really want I really wanted you to I really wanted you to pick them to, to win because I yeah I, I so I made up my mind. I'm not gonna. Okay. 
and I wanted to just be devil's advocate, and and I I absolutely know with a hundred percent certainty, Coach Burke is going to listen to this, and we're going to hear about it, and I'm going to say yet again, you're not going to be healthy, you're going to underperform, and you're going to the quarterfinals, and see ya. That there's your, is, that, there's I, your bulletin board material right there. I wish I could call 2021 Chris Hallyors and say you're not going to believe what the professor the. You're not going to believe what he said about 2022, uh, 2023 Texas, that he, again, completely bailed out of the prediction. <sighs> I just don't. Yeah. I'm, and I, I just I can't go there. Like, like yeah. we said, yes, we base based our rankings off what was on the roster. But when I certainly to some extent, it was in the back of our minds. And when it comes to predictions, I have to take into account whether I think it's you know, how realistic is it that everybody is healthy. And I just don't think it's that realistic. So I hope, I hope they are. And if they are, like you said, semis finals winning all possible, if not, it's probably another quarterfinal type run. I feel just, I feel dirty. I'm going to have to shower after this podcast to change the, the, the prediction the way I did there. I just like, we've been saying it, for two years, Chris, are we really going to not have the confidence in our convictions to back up that saying they're a year away, they're a year away, this is the year? Semifinals. I'm sticking with it. Chris hey, Allen. The, the years of, the, the of uh, Sigs Garnito are gone. They got to prove yeah. it again. <laughs> Fine. Fair enough. So we will say, again, that's where we stand with number four, Texas, another team very firmly ensconced in that tier one conversation. But – Again, we will see how healthy they are come May because if healthy, no team will want to face the Longhorns in 2023. With that said, Chris, three teams to go. We are nearly there with the end of our preseason preview. And by the way, we're like two weeks away from the start of the college tennis season. Any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? I mean, I am so looking forward. You've already spoiled who number three is by saying <laughs> someone's coming on the show. But uh, yeah. I'm I'm looking very forward to that one. So uh, yeah, stay tuned for the for the uh, the one to come out. Well, for, for the record, I didn't say they were top three. I said they were top three. I didn't say they were number three. They could have been two or one. But now, listeners, spoiler alert: leave it in. They no, are no, 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 no. Last week you said that's true. That's he's true. coming on this week. That's true. Good point. <laughs> hey, great shot by you. You actually remember the things I say, Chris. Shout out. I never know if you're listening, but you are listening. That's what I like to hear. Uh, yeah. Again, this Texas team is really fun. This exercise is really fun. We hope all of you listeners are enjoying it as well. Of course, again, if you've missed any of the episodes, just scroll down on your Great Shot podcast feed. They're all as enjoyable as this, both the men's side and the women's, of course, with John Parsons. Of course, none of this content possible without the tireless efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who, as always, has a of an any job to do day in, day out. With all of that said, for the fantastic Chris Helliors, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin, the number four team in our preseason poll, the University of Texas Longhorns. Who is number three? You already know, but we'll be with back with you all for our analysis on that team and so much more on Friday. But for now, Chris Helliors, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, as always. 